It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 23rd, 2012. Thank you for joining us on tonight's edition. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. As always, we look forward to Thursday night. We look forward to our opportunity to join with others on the Internet and study from God's Word. And Monty's behind the controls tonight, and we're glad that he's here. We look forward to hearing from him as we go along. And we've got a subject tonight that I'm interested in. Well, Thank I'm always interested in our subject, but this well, one, I, I I hope I'm, I'm going to be taking notes tonight, I think. Yeah. Well, we have the idea that uh, we, we talked even recently, we talked about parenting. We talked especially about disciplining children maybe dealing with teenagers in the dating years. Yeah, that was a couple, uh, few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. Uh, this is another lesson about parenting, but it takes a little bit different slant on it. We want to talk about raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that all who are listening have known of folks in the Lord's church who've had the unfortunate experience of having children grow up and not be faithful to the Lord. Uh, maybe even some who never showed any interest in, in serving the Lord. Uh, and it seems to me that that's potentially an increasing problem in the church. And so tonight what we want to talk about is how can we successfully raise our children, as Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, that we must do in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right. So this should be a good discussion tonight, and we look forward to a lot of participation by our Listeners tonight, and so you can join in at uh, toll-free, 877-381-4567. You can email questions at collegeview.com, and you can also join in the chat room with other listeners if you listen to us live at uh, thevirtualbiblestudy.com tonight. Uh, this is a, a subject that uh, will no doubt uh, bring out a lot of opinions. Uh, you talk, uh, that's, uh, you know, this is one of those hot-button issues where there are a lot of opinions on how, you do, how to raise children. I'm sure that there will be. Um... Let me That's tell you. That's okay. I mean, we're, yeah. it's hard not to have opinions, but we want to base our, our, our judgments and our opinions based upon God's Word. That's right. That's what we're trying always to do is make sure that we're basing what we teach on the Word of God rather than personal opinions. We've always said, Jacob, opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. Right. And that doesn't make one better than the other. But, right. when, but if, we, if we can prove something from the Word of God, then that's what we've got to accept. And that's what we're going to try to do. Let me read to you the... Uh, Questions we sent out to our update list earlier today with a reminder that if you're not on our list, you can be by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Put in the subject line, add me to the list, and we will do it. And so then at noon or shortly after noon on Thursday, you'll get an email telling you what our, our topic for discussion is going to be that night and giving you some questions. Start asking for your feedback. Here's what we asked earlier today. Question one, based on your own experiences, what is your estimation of the percentage of Christian parents who are doing a good job raising their kids versus those who are doing a poor job. So we all know people who've got kids, who've raised kids. What do you? What's your opinion? How well are brethren doing? Just as sort of an overview, just in general. Yeah. Now, in in 
in that context, if you see people who are doing good, what do you what do you uh, imagine are the signs of a successful parent? Mm-hmm. And on the contrary wise, what is your understanding of those? Or what are those signs that somebody might be failing as a parent? So that's mm-hmm. question one. Question two, list in order of priority the things you believe a Christian parent should or must be doing to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The other side of that coin is question three, list in order of priority the things a Christian parent must avoid while raising or training their children. And then finally, the last question, Jacob, we might get into some discussion. It's always been something that brethren have talked about. If, a, if my child goes bad, is it my fault? Is it always my fault? Is it sometimes my fault? We want to talk about that at the end of the And we know you want to lo- uh, sign in on those questions tonight, so the number to call is 877-381-4567. It's toll-free. The line is open, and we welcome your call. We've got a, a guest expert on the on the phone, to, on, on Skype tonight, uh, joining us from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, Scott Smelzer is here. Scott, welcome uh, to the Virtual Bible Study. Oops, let me get this. I may not be an expert, but I'm a father. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're uh, quite an experienced one, it sounds like. Six children. That's right. And uh, and a wide range of uh, ages there as well. That's true. They're from 27 down to 7, all four years apart. Uh, that's great. That's great. And uh, so you, you obviously like being a father because you're signed up for, uh, I guess if you do the math there, about 40 years worth of uh, children at home. And a lot of college tuition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. I enjoy them a lot. Yeah, that's, that's great. And w- the reason we contacted you, Scott, is that we had heard, I think Jacob had himself heard some recorded lessons that you had done on the subject of raising children, and, and he was quite impressed with that. And so we thought we'd get you to Skype in with us tonight to talk about this. I'm sure you'd agree with me, Scott. It's a tough job. It's, it's th- This is not easy uh, and anybody who thinks that it is, uh, is way out of touch. Wouldn't you agree? It is, but like so many things that are of value, the answers are easy, but carrying them out is difficult and challenging. Yeah. Uh, when we do the hard things, it makes life easy. And when we go through life doing the easy things, it's going to make life hard. Oh, I like that analysis. In other words, there's going to be some things about parenting that you'd rather not have to do but if you don't, you're going to pay a price for it later. That's right. And uh, it's one of those jobs you can't afford not to do a good job at it. That's right. Uh, Scott, uh, the the, uh, the first question that we asked was a question about um, just what is your take? What's from your personal experience? How do you think? Uh, I mean, you travel around some and preach in different churches across the country. Uh, you know a lot of Christians. What's your experience? How would you evaluate? How many good? What percentage of parents are doing the job right, and what percentage of parents are probably just failing pretty miserably? I, in my experience overall, I would have to say probably it's a minority that are doing a good job. Yeah. Uh, none of us do a perfect job. There, there's not a perfect father. There's not a perfect mother. But. There's and, and there's a lot of young people that manage to rise above some of the mistakes that uh, are done, and that's good. I've seen some remarkable young people that have given me a great deal of hope. But overall, there are so many reoccurring signs that I'm afraid a great, great, great number of brethren are not realizing how, how short they're, they're coming up on what their children need. Yeah, I, I would agree with your analysis. I think that... Um 
overall, the, the, the trend is not good. And there, there just seems to be, to me, there seems to be a lot of parents who are, who are almost, um, I don't know, they, they, they're out of touch. They're not, they're not dealing with the reality of the things that they're facing. They're failing to do what Proverbs 22, 6 says. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And, for instance, a common mistake that sometimes fathers make is they want their child to behave, and so they will control the child. Well, children need control, but they need more than control. The father that says, like, how many times have we heard this line? Well, they're not going to do that as long as they're under my roof. I've said that, in fact. And, and you know, then if that's all that the child gets, then they may not do it under the father's roof, but they may do it under the neighbor's roof, or they may be looking forward to getting 18 and being out under their own roof. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go so that when he's old, he will not depart from it. So we have to not just say, no, you can't do that. You're not going to do that under my roof. We have to train their hearts. We have to live the word of God. We have to teach them the word and, and, and train their hearts so that when we're not around on a Friday night and they're a teenager, they have self-control. And when they get out on their own, they have self-control because we're not going to be with them the rest of our lives. Exactly. Um I, I, I don't. I never like us to imagine that we live in the worst of all possible times because I don't think that's true. I mean, it'd be pretty hard to convince Noah that we live in a worse world than he lived in yeah. when he raised his boys. But right. we, we live in a pretty tough time, and yes. and Satan has got uh, a whole new array of of uh, tools at his disposal at uh, with which he can attack our children. And, again, I think that if parents are not, uh, you know, eyes in back of their head, fully aware, you know, 24-7 kind of disposition toward the, the spiritual well-being of their kids, Satan has, has plenty of opportunity to get in there. I work with a lot of young people and a lot of fine young people. But even among so many of the fine young people, one of the things that is, just breaks my heart, and I've, I've seen people ruin their lives with it, Pornography, and particularly internet pornography, is epidemic among young men that are sitting in, in the church pews. Yeah. Not everybody, but it's, it's heartbreaking how many. And I've heard, I've heard sometimes young boys talking to each other and they get together to talk about this to try to correct things. And I remember one time I heard this story after story after story and, uh, they all began basically like this. I was sitting in my room with my computer. I was sitting in my room with my computer. I was sitting in my room watching TV and a commercial for pornography came on. I was sitting and no one was home. And any parent today that doesn't realize how dangerous the Internet is, uh, the average age of introduction to Internet pornography a few years ago was age 11. And there's too many parents that are not realizing the dangers and not just having their eyes open, and then and then some devastating results are happening. Uh, it's it's to to put an 11 or 12 year or a 13 year old in a situation where he has access to all the things that his curiosity might get, and all the things designed to pull him into that world. 
we as parents have to be wiser than just sticking internet connections in their room where nobody even sees what they're doing. Exactly. I, I started teaching probably 30 years ago, Scott, that if parents let their kids have their own TV in their room and make their choices about what they were watching on TV, that that was a huge mistake. But that doesn't hold a candle to the mistake of letting them have Internet access and free reign on the Internet without supervision. I mean, that's just that's just uh, mind-boggling that a parent would allow that situation to exist. And then too many times the damage is done before the parent realizes, oh, I didn't realize they started that young. Oh, I didn't realize it was a problem. Yeah, and, and a, a child who's been... Uh, affected by that has literally had their life changed permanently. I mean that that that's not something that goes away, and so that that's starting a problem in that person's life that they'll have problems with probably from now on. Wouldn't you agree? It's the curse that keeps on cursing. Exactly, exactly. Well, Scott, as you as you look at different families, and, and I'm talking about those uh, in the church. What what do you see as a maybe the the key element that you see when you see a successful family? What is what is what stands out when you see parents that are doing a great job and kids that are coming along real well? Do you see any consistent threads there? Yes, I do. One would be the time that they spend with their children. Uh, if if everybody's busy making money and thinking that a little bit of time with children is enough, uh, that that is foolish. Yeah, I, uh, I I agree with that. Uh, we got to spend time. I I heard a guy say once, Scott. I thought it was a really good point. You could you know how you could bowl a three hundred game every time. You know how you could hit the bullseye at a target shoot every time. Stand real close. If you stand real close, <laughs> the target's easy. And that's what we got to do good. with our kids. we got to stand real close to them. That's very good. Another thing is when the parents live it. There, there's too many people who are not doing Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, there's too many people that are wearing, instead of being a light to the world, they're wearing world camouflage. And when there's not that much of a difference between us and the world, then we shouldn't expect that our children are going to be that much different from the world, and, and they're not. They may be enough different that they'll think they're okay, which is a deception in its, of, of itself. Yeah, and I, I agree with you that, that I think this is a big problem, is that we've got too many parents who, don't, who, first of all, don't want to be different themselves. They want to be like the world themselves. And then maybe even more so, they want their kids to be like the worldly they want them to be accepted in the worldly circles that they run in, and once we once we take that step, we've got a big problem. So you're saying, you if you see parents who are willing to be different, if you see parents who are willing to live the Christian life faithfully themselves, that's that is a huge step in huge. Yeah, exactly huge. right, exactly right. right. The parents' example when the parents doing it themselves. But I, I remember in high school, a friend of mine, he said, you know why I'm uh, smoking? Because my dad said, you better not ever let me catch you smoking, you know, with the cigarette in his mouth. Yeah. And uh, living it, and then when we're wrong, admitting it and apologizing. Too many fathers have the idea that they shouldn't admit when they're wrong because they think that that will interfere with their, or their air of authority. Our kids see when we're wrong. And... Yeah. 
And, and children need, along with everything else, they need to learn humility in the importance of apologizing and admitting when you're wrong and correcting. Yeah, exactly right. All right, we need to take a break. We'll get uh, this uh, this break in and give you time to get your thoughts together and send them in via email in the chat room, or better yet, give us a call and uh, let us know your thoughts. We're talking about parenting on the virtual Bible study tonight. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. There's more of the virtual Bible study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful, and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Taking an action while in a fit of anger is like putting to sea in a storm. Consider how much more you often suffer from your anger and grief than from those very things for which you are angry and grieved. A selfish Christian has no true love for others or for God. When there is no thirst for righteousness, the sermon is dry. Lying covers a multitude of sins temporarily. The world is too small a place to afford safety to the man who disobeys God. Conviction, not convenience, determines human destiny. He who remembers only himself will soon be forgotten. Man, I wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program tonight talking about parenting and training up children. Uh, Scott Smelser is our guest from uh, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and we're enjoying the discussion. We look forward to you joining in at 877-381-4567. Let me read an email we get from Anthony here in Columbia, Tennessee. He says... We ask, what's the percentage of those who are doing good or bad? He said, as for a percentage, I'm not really sure. I would say, though, that more parents are failing than succeeding. Really, this situation applies all, all across, applies across all those who call themselves Christians. More are failing than succeeding. But in a sense, this shouldn't be surprising since few there be that find the narrow way. Signs of parenting success. Children who are respectful to others, peers and elders. Children who stand up for morality and refuse to go along with the world. Children that demonstrate Bible knowledge. Children who almost always, if not always, complete their Bible lessons. Children who are willing and eager to serve others. Children who stand out as different from the world. Signs of parenting failure. Basically the opposite of all the points just mentioned. Especially telling is when children's dress, attitude, manners, and language are virtually indistinguishable from that of the world. Sadly, we see so much of this even in very conservative groups and among leaders with these groups. Uh, I, I think that, unfortunately, that that's a good analysis that Anthony makes there. 
I'm, conser- I'm concerned that when we see preachers and elders and others who ought to be the most mature, spiritually mature people who are also experiencing some of the same failure rates that we see uh, uh, in general, and uh, uh, it's a huge problem. Amen. All right. All right. So um, let's take let's take this next question, Scott. In your understanding, what would you list? And I, I ask people to put this to prioritize this. Uh, so what's most important, and then on down. The things that Christian parents have to be doing if they're going to raise their children successfully in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We, all, we already talked about the idea that they've personally got to be living it themselves. Uh, and uh, maybe a little more, uh, maybe expand on that just a little bit, Scott, what you think about living it. What would be some, it, it, Give me some particulars that you would think yeah. of as in regard to living it. And in Romans chapter 2, it talks about Thou that teachest another, dost thou teach yourself. Before we teach our children, we need to have taught ourselves. If we're not in control of ourselves, how are we going to be able to teach them to be in control of themselves? Uh, And so we need to be, you know, if they see us on the phone saying, tell them I'm not here. Mm -hmm. They just heard it's okay to lie. If if, uh, we want to watch the ball game. And so, or, or we put their ball game in, in front of services. What we've just told them is, you know, yeah, you should worship God unless there's something fun to do. Yeah. And and those things speak volumes, and the kids learn those. Don't you think that kids learn those lessons about a hundred times faster than they learn the positive lessons? In other words, it only takes once or twice in regards to those kind of compromises. And the kid, the kid soaks up that lesson just almost instantly. That sometimes we usually go to church, but sometimes we can, you know, other things can take its place. Sometimes the ball game is more important than church. Not usually, but sometimes they learn that lesson almost instantly. Yep. Whereas you'd have to, you'd have to be consistent a hundred times uh, in not going to the ball game and going to Bible study. You'd have to do that a hundred times. Uh, to reinforce the positive lesson, you only have to, to mess up once to teach them the negative lessons. And when the parents have messed up, they need to say, we've messed up. Yeah, I think that that's right. wrong. Have a family discussion about it, and then and then move on. Uh, the proverb says, 1324, discipline your son diligently. Uh, I read a statement one time by a child psychologist. He said, children are like little gamblers. They'll, they play the odds. And if, if bad behavior gets rewarded occasionally, they'll do it, and they'll do it, and they'll do it, uh, just like people that play the lottery. They don't think every time, I'm going to win tonight. But they spend that money because they think there's a chance. And when parents are not diligent and when they're not consistent, it will train the kids to look for and work for that uh, the lack of consistency. I think you're exactly right. Anthony says, never compromise, instill biblical moral principles, talk often about spiritual moral things, engage in regular Bible reading and discussion, maintain constant vigilance against the influence of the world. All great points. I, I'm, I'm especially impressed with that point about don't compromise. I, I, try to, I try to look at situations where I think parents have been successful. I try to remember how uh, my own parents and what they did, and I, and and. They made mistakes like all parents do, uh, 
But one thing I remember about them and how they raised my brother and I was that we they didn't compromise about, for instance, church attendance. Uh, I can remember, for instance, uh, playing Little League Baseball, and uh, uh, my dad would sit in the bleachers until the last minute on Wednesday night, and then he'd snatch me out of the game, and we would head for worship services, and, and I'd change my clothes in the back seat of the car on the way. But he'd let me play ball until, right. until it was time to go to church, and we went to church. And and I, I always believed that that was an important example that he set for me. I tried to do the same with my boys. I just believe that this idea of not compromising is so vital in regards to raising kids. When I remember my own childhood, one of the things that helped me was at an early age, before it really would have mattered, I knew that there were certain things I wasn't going to be going to be wearing and uh, mixed bathing situations in a pool or something I wasn't going to be doing. And maybe my teacher would feel sorry for me or different things. But I understood I wasn't going to do those things. And that way the child develops the understanding we're not going to do everything the world does. The parent that goes through and wants to make sure that their child gets to do everything well, this wouldn't be so bad. This wouldn't be such a problem. This would be okay. If you compromise everywhere, then when they get in high school and real temptation hits, they haven't developed the backbone that understands there's some things that I don't do. Yeah. So, you, you, so what you're saying, Scott, is you need to train them to be comfortable being different and strange. That Yeah, it's that the, the, you're not going to – your job is not to be like the world. And uh, one, one other point on that is parents that defend their children when they're wrong. You get to the adolescent, well, sometimes young age, but then adolescent and teen. And when the child is doing poorly and attention comes to it or someone tries to point it out or help them, the parent that rushes to defend their child when their child is wrong has just made a huge, huge, huge mistake. Uh, Let me tell a real brief brief story about a family I really respect the way they did one of their children. Um, child was caught cheating at a, at a young age in, in a homeschool environment. And instead of, th- they did something that was really hard on the child. The child had to apologize to the entire, uh, you know, uh, group. And then they were not allowed to participate in anything else with them for the rest of the semester. It was a lot of extra work for the mom, but that child is now just a sweetheart. Uh, I, I coach her in ball and like, you know, now, you know, she says, I'm sorry, my foot stepped out of bounds. There's an honesty there that came from the parents, you know, doing what was difficult, but teaching a lesson. Yeah, that's a great example. And, and you know, uh, one of the points that has to be emphasized is we got to start real early with that sort of stuff. You can't wait. Uh, I heard a, a child psychologist who was asked how should I, how soon should I start, how early, how, at what age should I start training my child? And the guy asked, well, how old is your child now? And they said, five years old. And he said, well, hurry home because you've already missed the best five years. That's right. Uh, uh, some, some data I had here, uh, um, neurologists have researched the capacity of the human brain to absorb information. At age two, the, a child's brain is absorbing information at an adult level. At age four... They are absorbing, able to absorb information twice as fast as an adult until age 10, and then it begins to slow down by age 16. Learning capacity is slacked off to the level that will be main, 
maintained throughout adulthood. So uh, from two to four, they're operating at an adult level. At age four to age ten, they're absorbing information twice at twice the level a normal adult absorbs information. That's pretty amazing when you stop thinking. So that that just tells us that we need to start early. And actually, Scott, we've got uh, plenty of examples in the Bible of 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 those who did start early. Samuel in the Old Testament, uh, Josiah, John the Baptist, Jesus. I mean, just uh, you can construct a long list of those who started very early um, to... uh, to learn God's will and to serve Him. And one of the things that parents of little bitty children can can do is to teach them to respect the word no. Uh, if you stop and think about it, Adam and Eve were not did not have a lot of wisdom and experience when they were created in the garden. God started them off with a no-no. You see this tree? No-no. The Israelites coming out of Egypt were not spiritual giants. And a lot of the Ten Commandments were no-no's. Yeah, I believe that if you teach a child to respect the prohibited no and not to ever give a defiant no, now, a, a child can answer a question, no, ma'am, you know, but, you know, like, would you like some of this? No, thank you. That's fine. But when the child goes, no, because they kind of learned the power of that word no, a zero tolerance for a defiant no and absolute expectation that when the parent says no, it's no. You get that down, and a huge portion of the child training is already done because they have learned to respect authority and not make excuses and submit their will to their father, which prepares them later in life to be ready to submit their will to their heavenly father. I think that's a great point. Uh, no, in other words... The, the relationship that I help them to develop from a very early age, the relationship that I help them develop with me as the father, is going to be, well, very simply, going to be indicative of the kind of relationship that they later will have with their heavenly father. Whether or not they... Go ahead, Scott. If they grow up with the understanding that some, you try to, you know, sometimes you do what's right, sometimes you don't have to. If you don't do it right, you justify yourself. If you need to compromise, you compromise, but you go through the motions. If that's what they learn at home, then should we be surprised if that's an attitude that they carry over into their religious life? Thank you, exactly right. All right, time for another break, and we'll look forward to hearing from you on the other side. Don't, don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. To quote Shakespeare, sort of, to go or not to go, that is the question. At least that's the question that seems to vex some Christians. Specifically, we have in mind the matter of attending all the services of the church. Seems the folks we have in mind are forever in turmoil about whether or not they will be present for Bible studies and worship services. If the weather's bad, they struggle to decide if they should brave the elements and come on. Usually they decide it's simply too bad to get out, even if there's nothing more than the threat of inclemency. If they have an ache or pain, they wrestle with whether or not to tough it out and go or stay home. Usually they give in to even the slightest symptoms, although they would go to work, go shopping, go to the hairdresser with the same ailments. If there's an inconvenience with their schedule, or if there's some trouble arranging transportation, or if there's some conflict in any of their plans, 
for any of these and all of these reasons and even more, they will easily surrender any effort to attend. In fact, an unbiased observer would be inclined to conclude that they are actually looking for reasons not to come rather than making a real and concerted effort to be in attendance. Thankfully, there are good and faithful brothers and sisters who are fully determined to be present every time the doors are open. They go the extra mile to be at all the services. Weather conditions, minor ailments, inconveniences, and scheduling conflicts will not stop them. Their thinking is this. If they can go to their other appointments, irregardless of these difficulties, then they can certainly get out to worship God and study His Word. Others who know them and observe their example are encouraged to see their love and dedication for the Lord. To go or not to go? That question should have been settled in your mind a long time ago. Yes, I will go should be your answer. There should be no debate in your mind. Your commitment was made when you obeyed the gospel, and now you're just following through with what you promised when you confessed your faith in the Lord. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the virtual Bible studies tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about parenting on the program tonight. We've got Scott Smelzer from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania on the line of via Skype tonight, and uh, we're having a good discussion. Monty's behind the controls, and Monty, uh, we've cut you out of the discussion. You, you you prepared, you brought notes, and you're not even getting to use them. Well, that's okay, because most everything I had wrote down is being covered anyway. So, what, what of, of all that's been said, Monty, what struck a chord most with you? Well, I, I thought that when we was talking about things that we need to do to, to train our children, uh, the first thing I had wrote down was lead like God does. And like was mentioned a minute ago, to teach our children to respect the word no, there's things God told us. Uh, he told Adam and Eve, don't touch this tree over here. Don't eat it. Don't even touch it. And when they did that, there were consequences. And we need to be the same way. We need to lead our children. Uh, if they do something wrong that we've told them they're gonna pun- they'll be punished for it, we need to punish them for it. Or if we tell them that we'll, they'll get a reward for something, that we need to give them that reward for it. They need to depend on us. We've got to be dependable that whatever rules or edicts we've set forth, they know that we're going to follow those and that they have to do it too, that we need to de- they need to be able to depend on us for that pretty, leadership. Pretty sobering thought, though, to think that uh, that your your children will, that, that they'll sort of project their relationship with you onto their relationship with their Heavenly Father. That's a, that's a sobering thought. Exactly. Uh, Scott, um, we, we had talked earlier, you mentioned the idea of, of talking with your kids uh, about spiritual things, uh, even confessing if you've done wrong and so forth. And I think that's an important thing. I'd like to uh, expound on that just a little bit. I found a a comment from a commentator who said the Hebrews were extremely successful at making religion an integral part of daily life. The reason for this success was that religious education was life-oriented, not information-oriented. They used the context of daily life to teach about God. And uh, uh, maybe a passage that suggests that sort of approach, Deuteronomy 6, beginning verse 6, says, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You know, I think there's a pretty stark contrast between that approach that Moses encouraged the Israelites and what we do by contrast a lot of parents even even Christian even those who you consider to be strong Christians seldom mention spiritual things 
to their kids, except maybe at church or maybe for a few minutes as they're prepping a Bible lesson, and maybe they're doing that in the car on the way to church because they haven't taken the time to do it otherwise. Uh, we talk about everything else, but we don't often talk about God and his things. Would you agree, Scott? Uh, I think you're absolutely right. So instead of God being the center of lives, he's, you do this, 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 and then you give him a little piece of pie on Sunday. One of the really tragic, sad thing I heard one time was uh, I met a brother, older brother, and he was talking about his children. They were all middle-aged, had a number of children, and they were all unfaithful. And he was telling about it, and he was mystified. And he said, yeah, and now none of them are faithful. And he said, I don't understand. We took them to church all those years. And that's what they did. They took him to church instead of yeah. living it as a part of everyday life. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, the, the amount of time spent at church compared to their entire week, it's just so sad that somebody thought that that was how you train a child. Whereas you look there at Deuteronomy 6, you talk about it, you know, when you're walking with them in the way, it, it's a part of daily life in in. Uh, it was a sad. All right, Scott. Uh, what are what are your tips for you incorporating that same approach? Uh, you, we're not walking uh, too much uh, together in our society. What uh, what what are your uh, recommendations for how do you incorporate uh, that training in uh, today's society? Well, there's all kind of things. One, just day to day decisions like we've talked about before, not compromising. Each time the family or a family member realizes, no, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to watch that. It's that that compromising that we that's instilling and reminding them of who they are, or if the family goes and helps somebody, you know, training them in service, uh, or one of the children says something, you know, not respectful of others, somebody else's feelings, and explaining about that, talking to them, getting them to understand that, not and, and just through, throughout life, and then there's Bible study together, and uh, and them learning to apologize to each other. When they've done wrong, you know, when they've mistreated their sibling, all, but, all the sins. And so you're, and 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 consciously making a point in all of those, you know, that this is this is the will of God to, to make them understand that the reason we do it this way and the reason you're being taught to do it in this manner is because that's what God wants you to do. All right, John in Edmond, Oklahoma, has his suggestions. Uh, and uh, John, by the way, has uh, five children, and so uh, he's very qualified on this subject as well. On the way to school, when they get up in the morning, when they go to bed, when they are in Walmart, etc., everywhere we go, there are always things to use as a launching point in teaching our children. Yes. Appreciate that comment. Exactly right. Good, good. point, John. Good point. Um, Daniel in Vermont uh, has signed in as well and weighed in on the question you asked, what percentage of parents are doing a good job? He says he would say about 75% of Christians are doing a good work with their kids in the north. He's from Vermont. He says uh, the way you find uh, measure success, he says uh, the success of parenting would be if kids after leaving home are still faithful or not and if their beliefs are still intact with what God teaches. Just because they attend services regularly doesn't mean that they're faithful. And some failures, he would note uh, that some signs of failure. He says uh, some failures would be for sure broken homes. If every one of the kids that were raised in a faithful family and now don't currently attend services would be uh, a sign of failure. And so we appreciate those comments. Now, uh, if I could, uh, he, asked, he, he weighs in also on the list of priorities. Okay. He says discipline seems to be missed. He references Proverbs 22, 15, 23, 13 through 14. 
most men don't have this issue of wanting to discipline the kids this way, whereas women uh, do. He just would like to know why. Why don't uh, it, why don't fathers discipline like they should? Well, it's a failure of leadership, obviously. I mean, it's 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 the father's role to lead in that and in all things. But I think he's right. I think a lot of uh, fathers abdicate their role, and the mothers are forced to pick up the slack because they're not doing what they should. Um, uh, Scott, your thoughts on on discipline? What are what are your, what are some guidelines that you use? Proverbs is just full of it. Um, uh, but I'd like to make one comment on the North thing because there's uh, I understand what he's saying there. I've seen sometimes uh, more progress in some churches in the North, partly because some of the churches in the North have more first-generation Christians. And there is a huge blessing to being brought up in a family where your parents were Christians, like Timothy, Lois, and Eunice, and you, you've got several generations back. But in some families... It gets to the point where instead of children having their own decisive relationship with God, it's an inherited thing. And then at that point, you begin to have sloppy parenting. Whereas when you have that first generation person that's come out of the world, sometimes they do a better job. And so I have seen a lot of good jobs being done in the North, particularly among some of those first generation Christians and such as well. That's a two-edged sword. I mean, I know, Scott, that you were raised by parents who were Christians, as I was, and I'm very grateful for that being the case. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want it otherwise. But right. I, as you say, you got to be aware. If you're if you're a Christian and you're trying to raise your children to be Christian, you got to be aware that there's a there is a potential danger there, and you've got to get them to the point of establishing their own personal faith in the Lord. All right, let's go back. Much better to have much better to have the advantage of being brought up in that family, but just don't drop the ball and let it become. Robert Turner used to say, "God doesn't have grandchildren." You know, each generation has to has to become committed. All right. Yes, about discipline, I would say twenty nine fifteen in Proverbs, and I think maybe the brother listed that one is really important. It says the rod and reproof. Some fathers just use the rod. I, I remember a, a psychologist who was a member of the church years ago told me that he felt, and of course, this was his judgment and his opinion. He he felt that positive interaction with children needed to outweigh negative interaction with children at least two to one maybe three to one that you needed to that you needed to to have positive interaction reinforcing kind of activities uh far outweigh the the negative side and and, that's interesting yeah and i think that's a good point i I don't know if you'd agree or not scott but you know uh certainly we're gonna have to do correction but we need to we need, as much as we're able to, we need to be positive in regards to our training of our children. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Scott, how would you respond to those who say that if you, uh, this, uh, let, let me just sort of put it in the way of a quote, if I force my kids to attend worship service and Bible studies, it's going to cause them to rebel and later leave the church. If I, if I cram religion down their throat, if I force it on them, then later on they'll just rebel and they'll be gone. It's kind of like the fellow that burns down his house so he won't have to worry about it catching on fire. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. When the world, 
in, in, in parents that say, if I if I don't let her dress like that, if I don't let him go to that concert where there's going to be all these drugs and everything, if I don't let him have all this, you know, uh, if I don't let him get these tattoos and these piercings, it just because we keep them in a church directory doesn't mean they're in the Lamb's Book of Life. Exactly. And and when churches become worldly, there's not a big advantage of being in them instead of instead of the world. I agree wholeheartedly. Right, let's go back to the chat room quickly and just catch up on some of the comments. Uh, uh, John says the history of Israel displays a failure to apply the instructions to pass along God's word and instructions. He references Deuteronomy chapter 6. That does seem to be uh, an issue there, and it can be an issue today as well. And uh, Henry P. says we need to humbly ask God to show you how to do this enormous uh, task, obeying what he tells you to do, and then trusting him to be in control. We need to keep in fellowship so you build and be built up and show love and godly service and have Christ-honoring fe- uh, friendships. Um, and then Henry uh, says the world, either through school, television, and other media, or child uh, minders, should not be the ones who guide our children. It is our responsibility as parents. He references Genesis 18 and 19. Uh, so uh, appreciate those comments. Anthony mentions things to avoid uh, capitulating to the child's desire to be like everyone else. Watch the things they watch. Listen to the things they listen to. Watch what they wear and uh, so forth and so on. And uh, Daniel says uh, things to avoid kids growing up. Uh, see. Parents should be involved in all aspects of what they watch on TV or in the movies, especially in schools as well. Um, he says, avoid mixed swimming. The immodesty doesn't seem to apply when kids are young. I would like to know why. No, he's asking, why do parents not think that immodesty is a problem for their very young children, I think. And I agree. Uh, he says, this is an opportunity missed if we don't train our kids to wear what to wear when growing up. Uh, and so forth. I All think right. he's right about that. All right. Uh, John uh, in Oklahoma adds, uh, if the parents approach it with a forcing attitude, then yes, it is a good chance their children will not continue. We should strive to teach our children to love the Lord and desire to worship. And so uh, John says you, it needs to be from the heart, even from the parents' end, and they need to instill that in the children. I, I agree. I, and, and I think part of that that quote that I mentioned earlier, you know, if I cram religion down my children's throat, well, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be... Training them, bringing them up. Right. I'm not supposed to be forcing. All right, Monty's about to jump out of his seat <laughs> if we don't let him have a, a, a comment here. Well, I was thinking the guy asked why the a minute ago why the seemed like the mothers was more willing to discipline the children than the than the fathers. I think it's a cultural thing for us nowadays. Uh, when we see certain shows on TVs or certain movies, maybe even a cartoon that should be appropriate for us to watch, maybe. But it always got to where it seems like it's portraying the the daddy to be some kind of weak person, the mother is stronger than that, and the children the only ones in the whole family unit with any intelligence or leadership capabilities. Yeah. They, they've got things, and, and in, in doing this in things, shows that we think are, you know, they're, it's a G-rated show we think or something like that. We're, we're programming our society to think that way, that it that daddy's just this dummy over here that brings in money, mama's got more sense than him, but junior's the only intelligent one in the family, and so our children think they're supposed to get their way on everything, and if they don't like it, they'll go to mama, and we don't really care what you daddy just, has to say about anything. The media is defining how our, our family relationships and, work. And you just explained a good a lot of good reasons why we need to keep our kids away from the evil influence of those kind of things on, in the yes. media. 
Yeah. Uh, let's take a break and go to the top of the hour. We after. got we got to deal with this question, Scott. When we come back, we're going to deal with this question of if my kids fall away, is it my fault? Always, sometimes. How would I know if I'm accountable if my kids have become unfaithful? We'll talk about that when we get back. All right. Uh, Henry P says we should be putting Christ preeminent in their mind, and hopefully we reflect, and that they want to be imitators of us as we imitate Christ. And so uh, certainly Henry is telling us we've got to be living it ourselves. We can't expect our children to be interested in it if we're not ourselves. We'll go to a break, and we'll take your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great. I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. You just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Data collected by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention show that the proportion of women in their late 30s who had ever cohabited doubled in a 15-year period to 61%. While half of couples who cohabit marry within three years, the study revealed that a couple who lives together before getting engaged and married is 10 percentage points more likely to break up before their 10-year anniversary than is a married couple who didn't cohabit. All of those stats are via the National Center for Health Statistics. The Word of God says in Hebrews 13, verse 4, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. We're back on the program tonight, and we're talking about parenting with Scott Smelzer from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Having a good discussion, and we've got a little more time. If you'd like to give us a call, the line is open. Let's go to this last question because I think there's some things that we want to investigate about this. Uh, I asked the question, is a parent always responsible if a child goes bad, so to speak? If so, if you think a parent's always responsible, explain why. And if not, how would you determine if a parent is accountable in a given situation? Anthony answers, he says, if we're talking about a young child teenager, I would stick my neck out and say that almost always, if not always, it would be the parent's fault. Sure, we are aware of nature versus nurture idea, but no matter how strong-willed your infant child is, if you are doing the very best you can as a parent, you have 16 to 17 years in which to mold that child. If you take your job very seriously, I would say that almost always you can keep the child on the straight and narrow while he's in your home. Adult or young adult children who are out of the home are a different matter. Even the most dedicated parents could see some terrible influences tear their adult child out of the Lord's fold. But even then, in many cases of adult children falling away, if we're honest, we can probably trace it back to parenting failures. However, all of this should be qualified by stating that parents are not perfect. We make mistakes. So just because I'm saying it may be the parents' fault, I don't necessarily believe they should be vilified and ridiculed or feel that their lives are worthless. There are cases of gross negligence, and there are cases of parents who tried hard, but in the end simply made one mistake too many. I think that's, those are good observations from Anthony. Daniel in Vermont says, not always. Or the, uh, uh, he says, I've seen kids grow up in strong families and still fall away. We can't ride anyone's coattails to heaven, just live according to what God wants. 
or better, or the better expression is, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. All right, now we got. We, I got one more email. I got to get into this, and then we want to talk about it. Pat in Harvest, Alabama, writes. The answer is yes. In other words, is it always the parents' it's fault? It's always the parents' he fault. He says yes, because Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. This teaches that if a parent were always perfect in training their children, that child would always end up faithful. Unfortunately, none of us do that perfectly, so our children might depart from God at some point. Um, i got to tell you, I disagree with Pat's uh, conclusion there. I, I think Proverbs 22.16 sometimes has been used as a ball bat to hit parents over the head with when their kids have become unfaithful it's, it's a proverb it's a generally true statement the proverbs are generally true statements now they're not always true i always use this as an example of that proverbs eighteen twenty two: he who findeth a wife findeth a good thing well that's not always true it's usually true but there have been people who found wives and they didn't find something good when they got that wife Proverbs are statements that are typically true, usually true, but they are, they are not stated as absolutes. If my child's later spiritual status is solely determined by my job as a parent and bringing him up, then I'm saying that my child has no free moral agency, that, 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 that it's my responsibility, his ultimate spiritual outcome is totally my responsibility. If that's true then I'm saying that my child, at whatever age you analyze it, has no uh, moral agency at all, and I don't believe that's true. Well, along those lines, Eric in Fayetteville chimes in, an easy way to see the fallacy of always blaming the parents is to ask if God was responsible for Adam and Eve's sin. So that's an interesting take there. Yeah. Uh, but Scott, what would you say on this question? Two important passages to keep in mind are these. One is uh, Ezekiel 18.20. The son, the, the, the soul that sinneth it shall die. The son does not bear the iniquity of the father. The father does not bear the iniquity of the son. Uh, oftentimes, when uh, a child becomes unfaithful, it's usually going to be a combination of some areas that weren't uh, strengthened enough in the upbringing and influences coming into the child's life and the child not being wise enough to make good choices. We've all seen parents that did kind of a sloppy job and the child was wise enough to take the good and then move forward. We've seen children who the parents did a really good job and the parents didn't do, the children didn't do so well. But the other passage is Proverbs 22.6. And I agree that the Proverbs are truisms. Uh, I illustrated with Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stir up anger. That's generally true. Proverbs 22.6 is also generally true, and it does it extends into the child's old age. As a general rule, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old. He will not depart from it. There may be some exceptions to that truism, but if we have really done our jobs well, even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Uh, a lot of this has to do, I think, with seeing trajectory. Uh, you look at the qualification of, of elders and, and faithful children and such, and if he's managed their own house well. I've known many, there's a lot of good men who are not particularly wise fathers. And if somebody has not been able to see trajectory and use wisdom and see where things are going are with their kids, 
then when they're asked to shepherd a flock, they're not going to be have that much wisdom to see where things are going then. Uh, let's take a, a, a common type of situation. You've got your, like before it was mentioned about the child, my child doesn't want to go to church. If I force them to go, they'll rebel. Well, they're already in rebellion. Right, you know, right. The, the mistakes were made far before that. So mistakes happen way back when you start to see some poor influence and the child is wanting to do this. And we, you know, they're, well, it's not really wrong. I don't, and that's, I don't think that's the most appropriate dress. Well, this, and you start compromising. You might think this in and of itself is not wrong, but the thing is, where is that leading to? Uh, I like Jonadab uh, uh, in, in the Rechabites. There was a father who just instilled some principles, some which weren't in the law of Moses, but just this is what our family is going to stand for. And, and, and they're commended there in, in, in Jeremiah. A father who wants things to be easy for his child, and when he's got you know, the posters of these vile cultural heroes, if, if, if you've got a daughter that wants to get a Lady Gaga haircut or something, you're way into the danger zone. Instead of saying, well, this it doesn't really matter, a wise father sees where that's going way back early in like the old Barney Pipeline, nip it in the bud. Exactly. I like, I like what you're saying there, Scott. You've got you to gotta keep an eye on the trajectory. Okay. Where's this heading? In other words, this, this, is just, this thing's just getting started, but if I'm, if I'm really trying to be perceptive and wise about it, I should be able to see just when this is getting started what this could lead to and, and nip it in the bud. And, and, and I understand the logic behind saying that uh, the parents aren't always responsible if the child does go awry, but I don't think we should use that to uh, eliminate uh, the blame that is. Uh, there is. That, that's, so many parents. I, say, I'd be, I would venture a guess it is a very small percentage of children who do go astray whose parents did bring them up as they should. That's right. And and there is there is strong accountability. Uh, parents are going to be judged for how they did with their children and and they need to know that that is the case. Um, you know, in uh, in the case of Eli in the Old Testament, uh, he was told uh, that he was going to be held accountable. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, this is 1 Samuel 3, verse 11, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tinkle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things that I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Uh, God was holding Eli responsible. His boys were grown men at that point, but God held Eli accountable because he hadn't done his job in disciplining and training them and i believe that unfortunately there'll be a lot of parents who are held accountable and so i I, it's it's a it's a two-edged sword there's two sides of the coin i don't think proverbs 22 6 is saying that in every case if a child goes bad it's always the parent's fault but i would agree with you uh jacob that i think in in a in a high percentage of cases you've got to look back and and you can probably point out some pretty significant parenting failures scott your comments with Eli, it's interesting because he did tell his sons not to do it, but it's, it almost sounds like a whiny thing. Why do you do these things? And then God says, you're going to die and your sons are going to die because you did not restrain them. And too many, too many parents are not offering the leadership they need to have. And it shouldn't just be everything's no, no, you're punished. 
like before, uh, there needs to be lots of joy in the home. You can look up in the Bible just how many times where joy and joyful relates to, you know, our children and our wives and our home. It's an important thing. There should be joy in the home. When the child's misbehaving, that shouldn't be a joyous thing. It should be a serious thing. A talk, the rod and reproof together, train them and restrain them and train them to have self-control. Real quick from the chat room, we're just out of time. John mentions uh, a few points that may or may not bear on this discussion. The perfect teacher, Jesus, did not have 100% success rate in converting people. So even Jesus, who did everything perfectly, yeah. couldn't change everybody. Samuel's two sons uh, were wicked. God did not blame Samuel, but he did blame Eli. And then also elders are not held accountable if a member of the congregation falls away, although they're trying to bring them along. Yeah. And finally, you can make your child clean their room, but you cannot make your child obey the gospel's call. The child must be fully persuaded and convicted in order to make the right choice. All right. Uh, Henry, Henry P. says, good parents can make mistakes, and also bad parents can have good children. I and my wife came from non-Christian homes, so it is not always true. All right, and, so. and, and John in the chat room mentions the heartache of losing a child and said, you know, all the children were treated the same and raised the same, and maybe one falls away and others remain faithful under the same guidance and leadership. What's the what's going on there? And I would have to argue that that's, again, the reality of the fact that when children grow up, they, they come free moral agents. They begin to make their own choices. Sometimes they make bad choices. Right. Scott, we're out of time. Man, we appreciate your good input from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Thanks so much for joining us on the virtual Bible study tonight. Enjoyed being with you. Thank you, uh, Scott and uh, Dad. Appreciated the discussion tonight. Excellent things. Uh, hope I can sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, parenting is not an easy job, and, and, and I think it gets tougher as time goes on. So uh, we need to pray for our young parents and pray for our kids as they grow up. All right, then. Monty has been behind the controls not tonight. Monty, thank you for your thoughts. Did we miss anything that you needed to add? I think we pretty much covered it. All right, appreciate you being here tonight, and appreciate you for joining in on the discussion on the other end of the line tonight. And if you would like to get in touch with us, we welcome your comments anytime. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life. Study His inspired word of the Bible and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.